we are having technical difficulties right out of the door. Yeah, I don't know if we shared some of our challenges from last season, but technology-wise, the idea of walking out in the forest in and out of reception zone <laughs> presented its challenges. The editing was funky, to say the least. This season, we will try to cut that back and come up with better tech, tech solutions for our problems. Sponsors, come on. <laughs> we can accept re recording devices. We are spreading the good word here. Support us. Welcome back. This is season two of Pets Puddles Products. We took some time to rest, recharge, get inspired, and we are back with a whole new season. How are you guys? How are you, Aniko? I'm good. I don't feel that I am well rested, but uh, I am ready. We are back to the forest. We had a rainy day yesterday, so the forest is full with mosquitoes and mushrooms. And mushrooms! Look at that, so many mushrooms. Oh my god, that's right. Maybe we should just cancel this recording and pick some mushrooms instead. <laughs> that would definitely be easier. So last season, we reflected mostly on our career choices and career paths and talked with some of the people about their stories, so... So it was mostly focused on the past. Yes. But this season, we hope to take a look at the present and into the future and bring topics and people who we will talk about that. So we thought it would be a good kickoff to pull out the topic that the whole world is talking about now, which is? Which is AI. Artificial intelligence. AI! We set off to create a podcast that is not fueled by buzzwords. Yes. So we were a bit afraid of approaching this topic at all. But I mean, it is quite interesting and we do have some opinions, stories about that. Yeah. So why not? So Aniko, what was your first encounter with the idea of AI? Mm. I mean, I think for most of us it was coming from science fiction and pop culture, right? So yeah. I read a lot of uh, sci-fi in my youth and watched all the movies that you had to watch. Uh, and I think the first movie that I watched that had some kind of artificial intelligence and I still remember was, of course, The Matrix. The Matrix? which uh, painted a not-so-bright future where machines, in air quotes, or a certain kind of artificial intelligence surpasses humans, takes over, and reshapes the world to its own goals. So I think for most people, when they are talking about AIs and AI and the threat, connected to AI, that's something that we have in mind, right? So there's a an intelligence that's like somehow bigger than us and has its own goals and then will basically end humanity yes. if it gets unchecked. Yes. Yeah, my first encounter is similar to that kind of a notion. Because <laughs> um, if I dig deep down in my memory, it was... 2001 Space Odyssey. Right. Which is a movie from the 60s. <laughs> it's crazy. But, I mean, the the voice of Hal and what happens at the end of the movie haunts me until today. Yeah, so we learned it pretty early on that AI is something that we should fear. And anything that's more intelligent than us and more powerful will definitely cause our demise yeah i mean we did talk about few movies right so everything we remembered <laughs> they all played around the same idea terminator yeah or um oh that's it <laughs> yeah basically that's that's the three movies that we have ever watched <laughs> 
again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. Because I, the only reason I think I was so uh, familiar with Terminator is because I used to go to swim <laughs> camp and every day it was rainy. We would watch it like every, like over and over again. So that was the Bible. And maybe a first film that presented AI in a sort of positive way was her, right? Yes. And that was in 2013 or so? Yeah, pretty late. Hmm. So not too many future scenarios with happy outcomes of yeah. applying AI or using AI. I just remember a book that I read that might that has something interesting in, in it. It was called The Orchid Cage from Herbert W. Frankie. I'm possibly butchering his name. He was an Australian scientist. And that was the first novel that I wrote that was basically the same idea as in The Matrix that we have. So that's the classic uh, brains in co containers trope. I'm spoiling this book for anyone who's reading it. So <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, but I think, as far as I remember, the interesting thing about it is that that was just what the humans thought that it's a good idea, and they just went in, went that way, and there wasn't like a, an artificial intelligence forcing them to make these decisions. It was the humans' decisions too, which seems to be the reality today. Yeah. Oof. Another creature attacked us. <laughs> so, and I think that is one of my main questions about AI, that all the things that we are so worried about, that's, that's not an AI worry. That's like uh, people doing bad things using this new technology kind of worry. This morning it also came to me that it's a worry about product design because AI is being also designed. I mean, it's driven by certain decisions that humans make, how they design yes, it. Yes, exactly. And if we look around, I mean, every week when I talk to a friend of mine who works with another product company in or out, I continuously hear that even though design is so widespread and the knowledge of design-driven product development is getting more and more infiltrated, sorry for the sales points here, but <laughs> uh, it's still sometimes just developers who make choices of, okay, should we make this feature or that feature available or and I'm not saying that developers are not smart but that's not what, where their focus is to make yeah. choices based on either business or customer customer needs, needs basically yeah not even saying that now nah, the whole planet planet conscious design is a thing so yeah as long as people in dark rooms just make choices that fancy their mind then uh, that sound exciting without considering all the downsides yes and the actual usage that yes. it will end up Exactly. With. Without context, without scenarios. Yeah. So basically the sentiment about AI very much revolves around how it will, on one hand, boost the economy and it will create unprecedented growth and yeah. speed. And at the same time, the other side of the scale is everyone will lose their jobs and it will eat us up alive. <laughs> and the robots will come and burn us. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, the last time I uh, was excited about this sort of a new technology was around the early 2000s. In 2004, when mobile technology exploded and the possibilities came in that now communication and tools of communication and information will be much closer to us than they had ever been. And I remember working on future scenarios and just possible future uh, you know, outcomes of it. And we were all so excited and it all seemed like a happy trip to the future. <laughs> and then somehow it turned into designing for engagement. I mean, I remember in the 2010s, that's what all the designers were talking about, how to design for engagement. And then eventually we realized that actually that was not so much a good idea because people are now completely 
scattered around all things that require their engagement. You know, just think of the notifications that ping on your phone every day and how you might not be able to focus on one thing for a longer time, how people have challenges reading even a book or comprehending longer uh, or bigger body of text. But back in the day and even a couple years ago, the only worry for, I think, providers or even designers were, how do you make your grandma use this technology? How do you teach them to do that? And it was a real thing. Yeah. And we somehow forgot that. Like nowadays, who talks about worrying about grandma's engagement? No one. No, I mean, no. I also even remember a big countrywide research at the Hungarian Academy of uh, Science that they ran on the topic. But with AI, I think the concerns are much bigger. Yeah, because if they don't understand AI, it's not that they will just lag behind and miss out on some great opportunities, but they will actually get in a in a very bad position where they can uh, where they no longer can differentiate machine generated things and content from human generated content, and they will be much easier to to influence. So it's a much bigger risk there. And I think beyond that, I mean, with mobile technology, it was your choice if you wanted to be, wanted to engage with it or not. Of course, if you didn't, you would be left behind somewhat, but it was your choice. But with AI, I mean, even with mobile technology, it went beyond that. It went yeah. to the, you know, I'm listening or we are listening. You know, all the surprise ads that you get on your phone right after you finish the call on a internet-based provider unless you build awareness and the skills yeah like unless you know what's going on and like at least you know about these technologies and and their risks and their effects on your life and you won't be able to make the right decisions about anything and i may be pretty soon it won't be you anymore who makes decisions about your life. I mean, we are already on the verge of... Are you okay? Mm-hmm. I'm just nothing. fighting with insects. No, no, nothing is on you. At least nothing visible. Okay. I mean, when the GDPR regulation came into Europe, there was a huge conversation around in legislation whether what and not is allowed with data usage. And, and I know that many American <laughs> uh, services also avoid the European market for that reason. Yeah, the, latest example, the latest example is the new Twitter copy thread. But at the time, there was this huge discussion. And I swear to God, until today, I think the majority of people don't care whether you know their yeah. traffic or their activity online is being watched or not. And, you know, all this data is used for many reasons or for many purposes, the smallest of which is to advertise you products. But then is it really used to create a personalized offer or is it used to personalize your needs to their offer? I don't want to start sounding like conspiracy theories. (laughs) So we (laughs) No, but I think most people already, so at least in our bubble, most people know that these are really real issues yes that are happening so we are not coming up with our own theories at this point no people are being uh, influenced by all kinds of things through their screens and it has an effect on our habits and our decisions on all kinds of different scales you know most recently what happened to me on this on this topic i all of a sudden started to feel a very strong urge that I really needed a gold necklace, like a gold pendant, a very specific shaped gold pendant. (laughs) And I started searching for it, all kind of uh, brands. And a couple of days later, I was watching a video of a YouTube um, content producer who is a psychologist. And I couldn't believe what I saw. I, I saw this necklace on her, <laughs> this pendant, and, and then I realized that they are sponsoring her. Nice. 
And it was a really scary realization that, I mean, the necklace is nice. I could I have just liked it. Saw it. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't just come to me like, oh. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And these are also like not problems that are caused by AI in any way. No. But AI can make these much worse because AI can make the the job here so much easier. Yeah. Amplify the effect. The, at least the technology that nowadays we call AI. Yeah, let's so. talk about that. What do we call AI? How many different type of, types of AI are there? Yeah, I think everyone has some slightly different image in their head when talking about AI, like starting from the robots that are autonomous and making their own decisions in the movies. Robo Robocop was half, it was a cyborg, so yeah, it's yeah. not... So it's a Terminator. Terminator. Yeah. Or ship AIs that are bound to a ship or space station. Yes. Like hell. Like uh, body hell. Yeah. So that's where it started from in pop culture. And then there's this whole heap of tools that nowadays everyone uses. There is chat. Before you go there, okay. I think that the robotic stuff is, you know, that's like the end of the, the that road. Yeah. But we also can break it down that the same technology is used for prosthetics, for example. So parts of this movement based physical robotics so it's not just a full human existence with all its movement and thinking and feeling but parts of it also yeah separately exist as products like prosthetics yes and do they also actually use some kind of ai so does it react to its environment and make some level of its own decisions yes i think so that's cool So that's so, one direction, yeah. Yeah, so that is something where, where AI starts to make sense, is that we need some kind of artificial intelligence. I'm making air quotes here in the forest for no one. <laughs> <laughs> it adapts to whatever it reads from the environment, from the environment, and it makes decisions based on that. So basically that's that's it. Yes. Intelligence in this context means that it can react to its environment and make decisions. So based on this, a lot of things could be called AI. But what we nowadays usually mean when we are talking about AI is all the fancy new AI tools that we are seeing everywhere about the chat yeah, the most interfaces of, yeah. and the image generation AIs that basically try to mimic human behavior the, the close, to the closest possible and pass, pass as a human or like write text as a human would do, create art as a human would do. And that's like a very small set of intelligence, I think. My impression is that a lot of these different pockets of AI work, they are built on different human senses and human activities. And then, of course, the top of the food chain of that would be Terminator, which knows all of it at <laughs> yeah. all at once. But we are using a lot of it that are not embodied in a body. Ooh, not embodied in a body. Yeah. <laughs> that don't have... don't have a physical embodiment. Yes. Yeah. And I would argue that it's also not the scariest part, like the physical manifestation... Of course, it's easier to imagine because it's like it looms over you and it only melts in very hot lava. <laughs> But like any machine making decisions where a human would be making a decision, that is, I think, the scary part. The scary part. One of the scary parts. The other scary part is machines doing stupid human things much more effectively than humans. That's the other scary part for me. Plus one. So when I imagine the apocalyptic scenario connected with AI threat, I don't usually worry about the machines. Raging war on humanity yeah. in a physical form? Or like what I hear a lot about is machines' intelligence surpassing human intelligence. 
and then taking over the planet in any way. I think I'm way more worried about people doing very stupid things very effectively using these tools that can mimic human behavior and influencing people in large numbers and influencing decisions in scary levels. Can you recall just, an example for that? No, I, I don't want to. <laughs> uh, or just, just, you know, doing something stupid and collapsing certain parts of our infrastructure by accident. I mean, it comes down to so many root causes, first of which is, again, AI will be as smart as the people who program it initially, and then, of course, it will do it on its own. So who are the people who program it? And <laughs> they base their decision on what? Yeah. But maybe we can take a quick look at the history of AI. I find that also fascinating, how it began and just the progression of it. When I looked at the history of AI and the timeline, I loved that every milestone was marked with uh, some improvement in uh, chess playing AIs. <laughs> like somehow chess seems to be the metaphor for... For intelligence, right? Yes. So I think that's why it's so connected because when you say an intelligent person, then what you picture is like a dude playing chess. And playing it good. Yes. Thinking like many, many steps ahead and memorizing all the different scenarios, which basically any machine can do. Yes. So there's that. So basically what I found is that it started around the 1940s. Okay, some um, articles mention already future forecasting from the 17th century, when certain <laughs> authors would describe future intelligences quite similarly as they became. They often compare AI to the dawn of the internet, and then many others say that the influence will be so much bigger. So I found quite a few comparison charts, of course, depending what we call as a starting point, but some of them mark it as science fiction as a starting point for AI. Yeah. So somebody needed to dream it up before somebody else started building it. So that happened in the, in already in the 30s. And then the first computer or something that we call the computer was built in the 1940s. And they started the research in two main directions. And one was about robotics. Mm -hmm. So how the physical thing can do its own thing. And the other was uh, the research on neural networks. Mm -hmm. So the similarities between how the human body again works and how that uh, can be translated to technology. Well, the 50s were about first a small robotic mouse was designed called the Theseus. And then the end of the 50s was something called the Perception Mark I. It was regarded as the first artificial neural network. It could visually distinguish cards marked on the left side from those marked on the right. Yeah, so computer vision as a yes as another main area here. Then in 1955, something called the Logic Theorists, the first AI program is invented. I'm not sure what it was about. <laughs> And there was in 1956 a Dartmouth Darth Muth <laughs> College, a summer research project on artificial intelligence was conducted. So it started already pretty early and so many of the charts that I found described just how fluctuating the results were and that there were two setbacks in uh, financing and believing in the development of AI, even though there were lots of papers written about the capabilities and the capacities of the system. One was somewhere in the 70s or early 80s, and then another one in the 90s where financing said, no, it's not going to go there. And then there was, it, you know, the industry suffered a dip or a fall mm -hmm. in going forward. The first um, pivotal moment of deep learning happened late in the 2010s. So those are big time Gaps and, yeah. But in my reading yesterday, I came across with a paper, pretty scary one, 
from 1993, written by somebody called Werner Winge. Hope I pronounced his name right. He wrote about singularity, so as the mm. moment where artificial intelligence will surpass the human intelligence. And he declared that moment to be the end of, end of the human era. He didn't say humanity. <laughs> Just when we are the dominant species here. Yes. Which we find so important. And I read this paper, actually, because it was really engaging. We will put it in the links to the episode. And holy cow, it's super accurate. And it predicts it, the boom, like when it will cross the first important line 30 years later, which is precisely 2023. Nice. He argues a lot of topics that I also find critical about it, such as legislation. Mm -hmm. Legislation is such a huge issue around technology. It has been for a while. My God, I thought there were some sheeps coming or something. What? No. And in his paper, he describes, yes, legislation may sound like the answer now, which is in the 90s, to control it and to frame it well. But at the end of the day, he says it will only create setback for those who do comply to it. And those who don't will proceed to win the market. And so it actually will not be an answer to this issue. That's what he is saying. Nice. And funny enough, because this week an article was published in The Economist by Harari, so the author of Sapiens and uh, Homo Deus. And in his article, <laughs> he argues that legislation should be applied like it was applied with other type of innovations in the past, like nuclear energy. How, yeah, yeah, it started with the nuclear bomb, but it ended up with, what do they call Nuclear plants? Power plants. Power yeah. plants. And it is only possible because of legislation. Or he also argued the same for pharmaceutical innovation. You can always come up with a wonderful new cure, but maybe you should go through a process before you launch it. Yeah. And that approach, by the way, I could live with. So there is some sort of a evaluation process before a product of that kind comes out. That would be interesting, no? Yeah. I mean, it's probably much easier to regulate uh, plutonium or any other like source that is needed for a, cer a certain thing than computing power so it's a tricky Why? tricky concept why i mean if you think about that startups in the whole startup culture and coming up with new ideas and and, and as quickly as possible realizing them was the goal or has been the goal without any regulation really other than the industry in which that particular startup was uh, functioning there is no such thing i mean we could okay here comes the designer regulator Why don't we make, for instance, certain prototyping mandatory for AI-applied solutions? Because how do you enforce it? Like, if you are not prototyping, then then what? Then you can't launch it. Bye-bye. How do you make someone not launch something? Like Anyone can have access to the internet. Anyone can have a server. So that's what I mean by that it's a, it's a big, bigger challenge to regulate something that's much closer to like a shared resource than say plutonium. I get what you're saying, but if there is nothing, it may still be less threatening than if there is something. I mean, legislation has been a point of argument for a long time. If we recall the scandal of Cambridge Analytica around the time of the election and after, and which is just for those who lived under a stone and haven't heard about it, was the issue how Facebook was able to get a lot of information from their users and then sell it to companies, which then used it for influencing their choices at an election and, other, and for other purposes. At the time, the first uh, topic of investigation was whether some kind of a breach happened in the system, which clearly came back clear because... The system was not broken. The system was designed for for data mining and data exploitation. I hope Facebook is not going to sue us after this conversation. <laughs> But they were already at the Senate hearing. So to me, until today, the most memorable moment from that time is the 
where Zuckerberg was in front of those people and what was shouting into my face, at my face, from that site was how there was no language in common between those two parties. The people sitting behind the bar, I mean, as in the legislators, had a minimum understanding of what they were talking about. And so to me, it was really alarming to see that, that not only there is a huge gap and a timely gap between technology and jurisdiction, but there is also very little chance for these people to make the right rules without understanding what they are ruling about. Yeah. And I feel like this gap is only growing. So what about AI then and legislation? Yeah, how can we regulate something that we don't understand? I'm not sure of the output or the methodology of how to to regulate and how to reinforce that regulation. But to put that into the mindset that it is not just a nice-to-have, but a must-have part of the process. Maybe it's not through regulation. Maybe it's not through the regulation of the state, but something else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We could keep an open mind about it. But you cannot just put it out there without maybe testing for extreme users, testing for certain systems like bridges. They also get to be stress-tested before anyone can cross them, right? Right. So this could be an approach to products too, uh, using AI. And working with extreme users is always fun anyway. (laughs) I like that. I like that as a future vision for product development. I mean, yeah, that's that's great. I I just find it hard to uh, implement. As you can hear, we don't always have to agree with Aniko (laughs) and come to a happy celebratory hug. Yes. There is another interesting data maybe that I can add here, which I found um, in my little research on (laughs) ourworlddata.org. And what I found was a chart that uh, defined the level where human performance is the benchmark, and that's zero. And then it showed different skills on a timeline when AI reached that level. And it shows that handwriting recognition, speech recognition, image recognition reading comprehension, language understanding, when it was started to be developed and how it reached that level of human performance. And then surpassed it. Yes. Yeah. So on this timeline, what you see is that it starts with handwriting recognition and it's before 2000, along with speech recognition. Actually, I also have some memories with speech recognition. The line is super flat until the 2010s with speech recognition, but handwriting recognition went up pretty early in the 2000s. And the same story with image recognition, it starts before 2010, and it reaches its peak around already 2015. Oh, I remember the those handheld devices that, where you could handwrite things on, and then it will, it will recognize it. What was that called? It was a long time ago. PDAs or something like that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Remember? Yeah, 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 I do, I do. Skyjets. And it was so science fiction, like, oh, look, I wrote this letter and it completely understood. It's so cool. You know, what it makes me remember is also the scandal of Google with their image recognition software. Actually, face recognition. Do you remember the story? This is also in the 2010s. What was it? So Google uh, trained their AI to recognize faces. And there was a moment where the system was not capable of distinguishing a monkey face from an African-American face. Yeah. And it identified African-Americans as monkeys, which is horrible. Yeah. I also remember a story from speech recognition now that I'm seeing this super flat line, meaning it took them such a long time to get to a space where, or a place where, so... (laughs) Around 2013, we were at the Mobile World Conference in Barcelona with a product that we had been working on. (laughs) One of our dogs is really enjoying the grass. So we were in Barcelona and one of the entertainment product brands, Sony or Samsung, I can't remember who it was, their big thing on their stand was to introduce you the TV who... (laughs) 
who you can wake up by saying hi. Oh. I mean, we were, we were laughing so much about it at the time. And I remember the next big thing was the home command systems that came in, like Alexa and Google, Google Home. Home. Yeah. Are they AI? They are based on speech recognition. So that's, that's a speech recognition interface. So I think we can call it AI. But I think what we can point out with them is that this is how certain products can use AIs to boost their performance in an area, no? Like yeah. it doesn't have to be fully conscious. It doesn't have to be like <laughs> giving me advice on my relationship. But well, Google Home can definitely do that. It won't be good advice, but it will try. <laughs> and Siri, let's not forget Siri. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those are also things that are emulating human behavior in some way by understanding what you say and then coming up with an answer. It's also a super complex thing. So my first encounter with AI was actually in 2004 when I was at the University of Eindhoven in Holland and I attended a class called AI. In this class, we, we learned about how the early stage AI robotics were programmed. What was the basis for those programs? What was the, the basis for the algorithms? And there were different models, I remember. I tried to find a paper in the past few days. If I find it, I will try to find a link to it as well. So it describes how the algorithm for robotic movements were designed on different concepts. And one concept was the cockroach concept. And another concept was the spider concept. Both sound super lovely. I can't... Why don't they call it the otter concept or, you know, like uh, some cute animal? But I remember, I think it was maybe the spider concept that uh, the idea was that each leg would be able to move on its own regardless of the other leg. So it would be an independent system in the system, but partially also linked because one would be learning from the other's movements. And I think the cockroach stuff, it slowly com- it's slowly coming back to me. It had something to do with the cockroaches needed to find light. So the their training was was about responding to the external environment and the trigger was light and dark and then you could actually observe them moving from the dark to the light and vice versa okay that's my fun fact for the today's podcast and we can (laughs) move on (laughs) i think there are two sections that we still wanted to talk about one was what are we really afraid of for the future? Because we just touched upon that. Yeah. And the other one was, what do we use it for today? Yeah, we can talk about like possible future scenarios that we are afraid of or looking forward to. Uh, so, yeah, I think I already mentioned a couple of scenarios that I am really worried about that are not about the robots coming to take over or intelligence surpassing ours. So we have already talked about impactful causes to work on. And we were talking about the the importance of impact of our careers. careers. And there's a book that we have mentioned back then, which is called uh, 80,000 hours uh, and they have like this list of areas that need attention where where you if you work uh, in those areas then your impact will certainly be something and they they have this top list of like most important issues and the AI threat was always on that list they update the list uh, from time to time and now in 2023, uh, AI threat moved to the top uh, risk or the top cause that you can work on, according to them. And they also have articles about like what they mean by that and what work is actually needed. Of course, they are talking a lot about legislation and and how to control all this. But what I found interesting in it is that like the point where they are starting from is that machine intelligence will surpass human intelligence and that in itself is a threat for humans and that's 
in itself is like a so interesting statement or concept for me that we value intelligence so much. Intelligence is like our number one human thing that we are incredibly proud of and that we think is like the top of our of our qualities and the goal that we're aiming for all the time and uh, and that is something that no one ever questions and uh, on the other hand we have spent a couple of uh, millennia <laughs> like uh, looking for external intelligences and uh, being super happy with them, controlling our lives uh, in the form of religions and belief systems. And now that we could actually have some, like no one is talking about, oh, hey, so this is what we were looking for, like, right? There is an intelligence who is better than you and might tell you what to do and make your decisions easier. And so we have been looking for that for the the entire history of humankind basically and and now it's here and we're freaked out like what 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 did go wrong are we worried about the judgment that might come from that because we are so raised catholic that we know that higher intelligences have only one purpose and that's to like dole out judgment for sinners <laughs> or or like just the, the pure fact that if there is something that's better than us, then it will for sure destroy us because that's what we are doing, destroying everything that we deem lesser. So that's a very interesting idea for me that like having something more intelligent than us is a threat in itself and that's what we are, that, that we should like avoid. Hmm at all costs. On the other hand, I also, like, as I mentioned before, I don't think that's the real threat there. So, like, I really don't think that we will get to the, that point. I think humanity will be able to self-destruct way earlier than that. And, like, the way that these technologies that are posing as human uh, can be used to, again, make human stupidity much much more effective that in itself is like a way bigger threat than intelligence would ever be and do you think there will be only one intelligence i mean that's also a question for me ai <laughs> is that like a one entity or is it gonna be like there will be a good ai there will be a bad ai there will be all kind of ais or if AI is something that lives online, is that like a one entity? Oh, I have read uh, some good science fiction that is like mm -hmm. thinking about that. And uh, uh, the author is called uh, Ada Hoffman, I think. And uh, the book is called The Infinite, probably. I will look it up and link it in the show notes. In, in this book, the premise is that there are many AIs, so it's like in the far future, and these AIs are like posing as gods basically, and many different gods, and you can like choose which god to worship, and then that AI will be the one to like control your life and feed on your soul after you are dead. Mm. And I just realized that I am again giving out huge spoilers that make the whole story not that interesting because that was like the the big solution was that all oh, right these are ais and not gods but uh, anyways so that's still a good book and everyone should read that it's fun so maybe we actually have an understanding of what's coming and in human history we have preserved that through religion i mean there are all these different theories that obviously existing also in all kind of Netflix uh, documentaries or, or uh, fake documentaries where they talk about how a developed species must have developed um, an intelligence and existed before today. And a lot of what we find 
as historic monuments couldn't have been created unless there were other technologies. And I mean, I remember I saw this one movie in particular, which was arguing how could they build the pyramids by the meter. I mean, it's symmetrical in so many ways, measured by the meter and not by the the length that at the time Egyptians were using for measurements. So, okay, this is just one aspect of that movie. I will also link it. Please, please, <laughs> also if you ever watch it, watch it with a, with a skeptical mind. But um, it also argues a lot of aspects how something existed before that we just don't know. So, could it be that that we just Maybe. preserved the, the relationship with AI in this manner? Like as in the form of religions, yes. yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think these are much more fun and interesting conversations than like how to regulate AIs. What if we brought an AI and that's a god and that can control our lives and everyone will be happy or something like that, or the opposite? I would, I would love that, but <laughs> um, as long as it's developed by humans and well, yeah. I I I, don't, I have very little hope that it will do the good instead of the bad. Yeah. Sadly, I mean, if we could think of a scenario where AI develops itself into an unhum an unhuman like existence, which in this case could be good. <laughs> we don't like. Let's look at human human existence as bad uh, as a baseline. Then then there is hope. Yeah. Yeah. I think if we really can create. Uh an entity that's more intelligent, like way, way more intelligent than what we can perceive as as human intelligence right now, that has a good chance of being a better thing. And of course, a good chance of being a worse thing. Like, I don't know, humans are a pretty bad thing for everyone else on this planet. So I can understand the, the worry. But maybe that's because we are not intelligent enough. <laughs> and also because we think of the now, or we think about the now, I think humans or some of us have the, the, the willingness and the skills to look into the future and, and, um, analyzing trends and just feeling a little bit how it is moving forward, predict the future. And if you look at the development of any kind of technology, it was never linear, really. I mean, even with AI, I think, it feels like it came out of nowhere. ChatGPT just blew up without any warning, but it's not true. If you look at those timelines, you see how heavily development went on. Also with robotics, I think recently there have been a few trending videos from Boston Robotics, how they went through the different stages of um, development. I mean, actually, I also can recall a story from a friend of mine who was my uh, friend at the university, and he ended up working, developing robots, and his field was to develop robots that can feel. So again. Like feelings or the kid? Hmm? Feelings or touch or what? Feel what? A feelings as in happy, sad, uh, yeah. And um, if we come back to the ground, what kind of AIs do you use today? <laughs> yeah, let's let's get a bit more grounded from our sci-fi ideas. So what I use today, I use uh, Copilot, which basically writes the code that I'm writing. So I have to code type a lot less and I can focus on understanding what's happening and coming up with good solutions and fixing its errors. I use ChatGPT a lot, like uh, I use it for both in my work, writing emails that come through the way that I want to want them to, or like it helped write my uh, CV if I needed it. So all kinds of writing tasks to make something more formal or sound more English than my regular Hungarian Hanglish could, could do. I also use it for idea generation, for example, for my... Uh, uh, tabletop role-playing game campaigns. I tend to brainstorm some ideas from ChatGPT, ask for some suggestions, and sometimes it comes up with really fun ones. So it's great for for that as well. We use ChatGPT also for Pathbottles products. The name. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So idea generation in general. That's that's a good use, I think. 
and I use image generation AIs for again for the tabletop role playing character design because it's much easier to imagine sometimes if I have I have someone to look at. And we also use AI in Notion. I mean, even for tiny tasks. Yeah. Right? Summarizing things. It's quite useful. Oh, cool. I like these micro uses of AI. Yeah. They make it a lot easier. As you said in the beginning, if what AI generates up until today, humans still need to validate, right? Yeah. So, so I'm basically just just simplifying my work. So, so I would do the same thing that AI does. I would go through examples online and see patterns emerging and then use that in my code. Uh, just instead of that, like spending like half an hour with that, I can just type something in and it's there instantly. For images, I could spend two hours on Pinterest finding some nice image that I want and instead of that I can generate something. Uh, or I could spend hours and hours writing the perfect email and not being uh, convinced that it sounds normal and instead of that I can just uh, ask ChatGPT to rephrase it and then correct it where it doesn't get my tone right and then it's done. So I'm basically just simplifying my own work but I'm not completely outsourcing it to the machine. Shall we go? Yeah, let's start. Let's just give a quick visual. Um, So we are out on an airfield, a hobby airfield in a very beautiful nature area and we have the whole field to ourselves and to the dogs. Nobody's around. Super, super serene, no? Yeah. If AI is being used by incompetent people and their work is amplified, then the shit they create is also going to be amplified. I also use AI to, for instance, help me generate agendas. But then unless I know what I need it for or what are the constraints, I could just run that agenda without any evaluation. And then... Yeah. The result could be not what really that job is hoping for. Yeah. Or I recently saw a couple of articles on LinkedIn about this new um, service online that you can do research with AI-generated personas. Have you seen that? No. That's cool. Well, all the designers and researchers are not so happy about it. Because the answers can be so generic that actually today it feels like it's just an answer to companies who already don't like to do research. (laughs) And it seems like a patch for a broken bone, you know? That artificial personas may give very generic answers that will not really point out the main issues that actual people have. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't have any personal experience with it yet, so just saw some rants from trustworthy colleagues online yeah i think in in tech jobs it's a it's a really good tool so it does make it easier to do a lot of things it i think it will make it easier for like beginners in the field to get get up to speed much faster and also it will make it much more important to actually understand what you're doing and not just copy code from here and there because that part can be done with AI so we won't really need people who have no idea what they're doing but are just writing code and see what happens and waiting for seniors to correct their work because that's what AI is for but people who are actually interested in like how the code works and who can understand what's what's happening and are trying to solve problems and not write code, for them it will be a great tool because you need way less like lexical knowledge or time researching lexical things to is that right is that good effective. I mean, yes it is because you can focus on the part of the job that really is important. I think I have this old woman in me <laughs> who would argue for the same stuff that back in the day architects or even mechanical engineers would argue for that you must learn 
to draw on paper before you learn to work with ARCHICAD or, or CAD to do it in a digital space. Yeah, because that's, Yeah, that's just the, the question of the method of how you get to the point where you actually understand what's going on. I mean, you probably will need to write that code at first, a couple mm-hmm. of them yourself, but you won't have to spend three years doing that before you can actually understand what's going on and make good okay. decisions about your code. I would like that, but I don't. I wouldn't like it if you don't know anymore what's going on under the hood. No, that's exactly the opposite. So you definitely need to know what's going on on the hood and make the good decisions that the and and understand what you are creating and who we are creating it for and all the different aspects of the code to be able to make good decisions and use AI the good way. And this is why I'm not worried of AI taking my job. Not yet. <laughs> and even if it would, in an ideal society, that would mean that we are so effective at everything. That's true that we don't need to work and the value created by that super effectiveness is not accumulated in the pocket of the few, yes. but will be redistributed in like a self-sustaining society with basic income and stuff. You can go back to what, turtles? Okay, turtles. Okay, turtles. I love what you're saying about that we are all super efficient because on one hand we have AI and we say that it's deep learning and big data and yada yada. I mean we didn't come, you know, we didn't cover all the trends, but there's a, you know, this has been coming in the past couple of years. But at the same time, even last year I was working for a company who had all kind of data available, but they had zero intention of linking those different databases or not because they couldn't have it, because they just didn't recognize the the advantage that they could have from doing that. Yeah. So on one hand, you have technology that can do it all, but at the same time, you don't still have, I don't know, the human understanding or... Yes. I think that was my big disappointment in the internet as a concept, that we do have the internet and we have so much data publicly available for everyone about everything and it's like such a huge potential and by this time we would have been able to access data that we need all the time freely share data build our happy society on free data and what do we have instead we have facebook and uh, these silos of people interacting with bots So I think that's what I'm also worried about, about AI, that yeah, it has the potential of doing so much good, but human interest will be something else, and then human interest will win, and we won't have our utopian society yet again. I agree. I don't trust humans. That's not completely true, but I don't trust humanity. Yeah, I remember that I did trust humanity at some point in my life. I remember when I started working in tech, I was so hopeful. And I just, we just have to get back to that mindset, I think, and then we're fine. Yes, but we both are more moving away to the forest and to the fields. And <laughs> But otherwise, yes, I would hope for humanity to, other than just building on fear, which is never a good advisor, People would take their time to familiarize with what AI is and can be for them and maybe start using it wisely and remain skeptical. That sounds good. (laughs) I, I still find that we always search for the next big thing instead of trying to fix what we have in front of our noses. Well... Uh, Dear listeners, your opinions and thoughts are very welcome to the topic. Please comment or send us your DMs. Yes, you can find us on Instagram, not on threads yet, because we are in Europe and GDPR is important. Yes. But our handle is paths.puddles.products. And see you there. Bye. Bye.
The episode was recorded back in September 2023 while walking in the Buddha Hills. The show is produced by Aniko Fejes and me, Yuli Mata. Original music by White Hot from freebeats.io. Thank you for listening to us today and we look forward to hear from you throughout this season. There will be plenty to talk about and we would love to hear from you. So please get in touch. Let us know what you think. Whether you agree or disagree, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at paths.puddles.products. We wish everybody a great day and looking forward to have you with us the next walk around. Bye.